0: Good afternoon, something we can all celebrate together. Uh, Teresa Chen gave birth to a baby daughter last night. I have no further information. Uh, They have not chosen a name yet. All I know is in Alex's words, Teresa and the little lady are fine. So uh, pray for them that God will strengthen and, and uh, give complete health to both. Checking my glasses, everything looks green here this afternoon. <laughs> so, uh, let's see if we can focus for a few minutes, all right? For truly, as much as many of us love football and love our teams, we love and need the Word even more. Uh, and May the Spirit of God give us a spirit of focus, uh, and you're praying that the Spirit of God will give me a spirit of brevity, and uh, we'll see how, how that goes. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, We've just begun a new series of messages through the Gospel of Matthew, understanding Matthew's purpose in writing this Gospel as being to make and mature disciples as followers of Christ this is why he wrote the gospel he he wants uh, to follow Jesus command in Matthew 28 to make disciples and teach them everything that Christ has commanded and so Matthew's heart in writing this is to make and mature disciples of Christ those who will follow Jesus and last week in message one what we called the coming of the King we saw that we should follow King Jesus because he is a friend of sinners, a priest for sinners, and a comforter with sinners. This week, similar charge, a similar invitation in what I'm calling the message of uh, a tale of two kings. Uh, In this second chapter, we should follow King Jesus because The prophets foretold him and the nations adored him. We should follow King Jesus because the prophets foretold him and the nations adored him. We should follow King Jesus. Why? Well, one of the early arguments Matthew gives us is because the prophets foretold him. Think about this for a minute, what would you think if I stood up here this afternoon and I opened a very old, old book that was written hundreds of years ago, and I started to read this book to you, and in this book it said things like this. The day is coming when there is going to be a a game called tackle football, and That name, football, will be strange because the feet have very little to do with it and the ball is not really shaped like a normal ball. It's got pointy ends on it. But over time, this game of tackle football would take hold of the United States of America and there would be this city called Philadelphia with a team called the Eagles with wildly loyal fans. And they would wear and they would bleed green. And they would have some interesting things about them. There would be several players on this team who would love somebody named Jesus. And they would have a young coach with a sharp mind and they would start the season off well. This is all in this very old book. And then they would suffer the loss of some key players, including their MVP caliber quarterback. And and then, because of that injured quarterback, they'd be written off as a non-contender. And then the replacement quarterback would step in, and the first couple of games, he would look painfully bad. But then he would play the game of his life to get into the Super Bowl. Then they go up against a hated enemy from an evil empire. (laughs) (laughs) And they would have the whole nation pulling for them against that enemy. And they would have the talent and the coaching to have a very, very good chance of defeating that enemy on the field of gridiron battle. To become the champions of the world. So, what would you think if in that old, several hundred year old book there were all of those predictions? Would you you not think that something supernatural was going on there? Wouldn't you think that God might have something to do with that book? Surely, if those kinds of predictions are made hundreds of years in advance and then all come to pass in one team, then God is up to something. Something far more amazing and astonishing has taken place In actual history, there there is an old book, and it's incredibly well preserved. And in that very old book, there were prophets who foretold the coming of King Jesus, and they foretold this coming in great detail. That's the major point of Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, this is what Matthew wants us to know. That with the coming of Jesus, there was the fulfillment of many prophecies. And in fact, in just Matthew 2 alone, if we actually bounce back to the last part of chapter 1, we will find that there are six prophecies fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And these are the first six of about 18 that Matthew's going to mention throughout his gospel. These six predictions are these. First, the prophets foretold that the Messiah, the king, would be born of a virgin and would be God. This is found in chapter 1 and verse 22. Behold, or verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two predictions for the price of one here. In one Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 7 is where this is taken from. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, there was this prediction made. A virgin is going to give birth. And they're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is going to be God in the flesh. Next prediction is that he would be born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is an abbreviated version of a prediction made in Micah chapter 5 verses 2 through 5 where Micah says that Bethlehem who was very little among the clans of Judah from, from her would come forth one who would be ruler in Israel and he would stand and he would shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of God. And then there's the prediction that this king, this coming king, would spend time in and then be called out of Egypt, even though he was born in Israel. Look down at chapter 2 and verse 15. Where, if you recall it from the reading of the word just a moment ago, Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to Egypt to flee from Herod and in verse 15 they remained there until the death of Herod This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. That's a quote from Hosea chapter 11 in verse 1 where in reference to Jacob whose other name was Israel God says when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt. I have called my son What it means is that Jacob Israel's time in Egypt was a foreshadowing of Jesus' time in Egypt when God the Father would call His everlasting, eternally begotten Son out of that distant land. And then the prophets foretold that with the arrival of the Messiah King, King Jesus, something would happen that would produce great sorrow for mothers in the area of his birth and around the time of his coming. We read about that in verses 17 and 18. With the killing of the young children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Back in Jeremiah's day, he predicted that there would be a time when a Messiah would come, a king would come, and he would begin the restoring of Israel. But as that unfolded, there would be this unspeakable sorrow that would settle over the mothers of the land and over the mothers of the area. And that was fulfilled. And then finally, the prophets foretold that he would face obscurity and hostility. If you look down at verse 23, they went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This one's interesting. Uh, It's interesting because those words, he will be called a Nazarene, don't actually appear in the Old Testament. Um, And so many have wondered what Matthew is referring to here. And it's clear for reasons, and time won't allow to go into all those reasons. It's it's clear to me that Matthew's not talking about an actual quote here, but he's talking about an idea that a number of the prophets... Foretold. And that is that the Messiah, the Savior who was going to come, was going to be somebody obscure. He was going to be somebody hidden. He was going to be somebody perceived to be insignificant. And so when Jesus lands in Nazareth, he's, Matthew summarizes that by saying, He shall be called a Nazarene. Do you know why? Because Nazareth was considered the most insignificant town in all of Israel. Remember what Nathanael said in John chapter 1 when he heard that the king was coming from Nazareth? What did he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, Nazareth was a nothing town. Nazareth was a nowhere town town and and Matthew says that the prophets predicted that that the Messiah would would be wouldn't be recognized he would be insignificant he'd be obscure he'd be rejected he'd be in effect he'd be a Nazarene you ever heard the term podunk what's a podunk town it's a it's it's a small tiny backwater backward village that is so small that uh, it has no significance to it. So w- someone might say, well, so-and-so is from this little podunk town out in the middle of nowhere. No streetlights there, no, no stop signs there, no motels, just a few houses. Most exciting thing people do there is sit on their po- por- porches and watch rocks breathe or sleep. You know, that's, it's a podunk town. Well, Nazareth was a podunk town. May made Jesus a Podunkian. A resident of nowhere. It's as if Matthew was saying Jesus ended up growing in, up in a, an obscure village. A nobody person from a nowhere place. And as a matter of fact, that's what all the prophets predicted would happen. Jesus is a Nazarene. He's a nobody from nowhere and you know as you read this account of jesus early life you realize that everything about this is obscure and hidden and and insignificant Uh, his mother is this humble young teenage virgin He's born in this tiny village of Bethlehem. There's this tiny house that he's born into. He's, uh, he has to escape in the middle of the night. He has to live a hidden life. He has to have an obscured identity. He grows up in a backwater childhood podunk village. And for the first 30 years of his life, there's nothing but obscurity. We don't know anything about him. Everything about this speaks of God holding His Son in obscurity. There's no pomp, there's no pageantry, there's there's no parade, there's no global announcement, there's no ceremony, just humble, willing, voluntary obscurity. And on top of that, there's open hostility. Because as soon as He's born, what happens? The kings of this world go on the attack. Herod gets it in his mind that he's going to kill this one who was supposedly going to be the king of the Jews. And and this is the first of the open assault against Jesus that just continues in chapter 4. We're going to see Satan and all of hell come after Jesus. And then just throughout his life, as we go through this gospel, over and over, the attacks, the persecution, the assaults, the hostility only grows. and And Jesus is subjected to All kinds of attack. All the way to the point where, again, a prophet would say, Isaiah would say in Isaiah 53, he would have no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He would become a despised and rejected man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he would be despised and we would not esteem him. So here we have the King of Kings, born in obscurity, raised in obscurity, destined for a life of hostility. Put Matthew one twenty-three and Matthew 2.23 together. Chapter 1 in verse 23, behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, they shall call